this is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com Dale Stevens. Dale Stevens is the founder and owner of Uncollege.org, where he helps people explore their gap careers because simply people are paying too much for college and learning too little. He's been featured in the New York Times, Fast Company, ABC, CBS, CNN, and he's also been named in Forbes one of the 30 under 30 leaders in education. He's also a TEDx speaker and also the author of the book, Hacking Your Education. I agree. I definitely agree. Uh, the cause of college is absolutely insane. Uh, just like for me, for myself, I have the privilege to go to other countries and, and comparing comparing other countries to the U.S. is absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, in some countries, college is free. Uh, in other countries, even in more uh, countries as closely as developed as the U.S., college is still a fraction of what people are paying here. And um, as, as you probably already know, a lot of students, they graduate uh, with these degrees, but they can't find a job that with the with the major amount that they went to school for. So they graduate with a degree in, let's say, uh, engineering, and then they end up working at Walmart. Yeah, and that's the that's the worst of of all cases, right? Because then you're then you're you're settled with college debt, and uh, and that supposed investment is is not paying off. Yeah, yeah. So um, now you went to school in Arkansas. You know, you really didn't like it. You wasn't feeling it. It was a small town, as you spoke about. There wasn't really a lot of opportunities because you kind of was in the epicenter, which you will find in bigger cities. Talk more about that kind of at the point, you know, when you decide to give up college and the next step, you finally uncollege. Kind of talk about that transition. So I was, I was home on winter break um, between my first and second semester. I ended up meeting a, a young woman who had dropped out of Dartmouth. And I was feeling like I had made the wrong choice. I was wishing I, I'd gone to more prestigious school. And it turned out that um, this woman that had gone to Dartmouth was having the exact same frustrations that I was having. Mm. Uh, she thought people were, were disengaged and disenfranchised and, and not, not very attuned to, their, to their, their learning. And this was at an Ivy League school. And so I, I had a realization that, that the problem with the system, maybe it, maybe it wasn't about the type of college that I'd gone to. And that even if I'd gone to a more prestigious, fancier college, I may still have the same problems. Um, and so I started realizing that if I really wanted to, um, uh, to learn, uh, then I may ha- have to take matters in my own hands. I registered on college.org, uh, started blogging about my experiences, and then um, eventually that got, that got uh, picked up by a bunch of news outlets who were, who were just, you know, this was just uh, the, the zeitgeist of this idea. People were mm-hmm. very first starting to think about, you know, does it actually make sense to be spending 40 or 50 grand a year to get an education if the outcome is not guaranteed, right? It absolutely mm-hmm. makes sense to get an education. It makes sense to invest in yourself. But doing it in an, in an unintentional way without knowing what the outcomes are uh, is, is just like burning money. Yeah. I've always say like uh, if a person is going to go to college – it's probably best if they go uh, for a highly specialized career. I think it's important that they make sure 
that let's say the local that that economy that whether it's let's say it's Texas or whatever state that there's demand for what they're studying because if they're studying something like let's say engineering but let's say they want to stay in the Midwest and there's and there's not there's not a lot of jobs in that area what well, does not it's, it's not it's not going to make sense when we look at the rest of these uh, majors like when we look at art history or we look at music we look at these majors that really don't have any demand and also they pay very low. People uh, go to college and pay uh, 70, 80, 90 grand a year for a, a, a bachelor's degree. But at the same time, the starting salary of like a, an art degree or a music degree or some of these other types of non-specialized careers, they're making it between thirty to 40000 So they really, really put themselves in a hole. It may actually take them twice as long to actually um, pay, up, pay that off. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy that, that, that people aren't choosing majors based on, based on what the outcomes are. And that's not to say that, you know, it's, we, we absolutely need people who are, who are artists and creatives and poets. Um, but you don't, you know, in, in order to make good art, you don't have to go $120,000 into debt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, when you look at, like for music, um, there's um, schools like the Curtis Institute of Music. Um, there's one that's actually in Philadelphia. And just, just like what we're talking about, tuition is free. All you have to do is audition. And if you're if they're if you're selected based on your 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 skill, um, basically you get you get I believe it's like a, a two and a half year uh, tuition free education, which is great value because when you graduate you have no debt and you have those skills and you get you get trained by some of these uh, world uh, renowned musicians. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of resources like that 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 students uh, or, or or young people can actually get involved in, so they don't end up being a victim um, of student loan debt and. And what was the next step from there? So I, I ended up uh, getting approached by a bunch of um, agents who were interested in, in me writing a book because I, I told someone from New York Magazine that I was writing a book, um, which wasn't true at the time, but it was a matter of keeping myself accountable by um, saying things publicly. That's and, actually good uh, practice. <laughs> Uh, and then, so ended up uh, convincing Penguin to publish Hacking Your Education and interviewed about 65, 75 people who had done interesting things with their lives without relying on formal education. Some of them had gone to school, some of them uh, had never gone, some had graduated, some had dropped out. Um, but what held them together was that what they did professionally had nothing to do with what, with what they learned in school, right? It was the chemists who got degrees in philosophy. Um, it was... Uh, the poets who got degrees in engineering, right? And 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 I think what I think the big realization that came from that um, was that you know you know no matter what you want to do, you can still you can still learn it, right? Just because you study one thing doesn't doesn't close the door. And I think when you're 18, that's that's a really scary scary prospect. You think there's one choice about where you're going to go and how you're going to learn is going to impact the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So talk about, because basically oncology is basically, you know, basically what you're promoting, which I absolutely agree with, because I think it's very important uh, um, before even high school graduates even consider college. Talk about the power of a gap year. The power of a gap year is to, to help young people understand who they are, how they learn, and what they want to do with their lives. And we've developed a, a coaching process and curriculum around the kinds of skills that you should learn in school, but no one bothers to actually teach. So the idea is that, you know, there are all these skills that you use in real life. Um, how do you negotiate, communicate, keep yourself motivated, give and get feedback, work in teams, all these things. 
um, that no one ever explicitly says um, that you need to learn, but end up being really valuable. And our, uh, our thesis is that we can teach those skills explicitly. Yeah. And when it comes to a gap year, uh, I, I always recommend that if a, if, a, uh, if a young person is going to do it, preferably either do it before you start college or do it like right in the middle. Because usually a lot of times what they'll do is uh, some, some students will they'll go to college and you know, the first two years to do all the general education courses. And then usually after the sophomore year, they'll actually, um, let's say, they'll actually get into the root of their major, uh, whatever that is. But sometimes it actually could be helpful if they take a break right after their sophomore year because perhaps they're not fully decided on what they want to study or what they want to make their career out of. And the same case applies that sometimes it's even better to take a gap year before you go to college because it's much better than just kind of immersing yourself in college, not knowing what you want to do and just essentially wasting money. Precisely. One of the things that's really interesting to me is that when you, when you look at, at graduation rates that are ranked uh, by colleges, those are actually measured on a, on a six-year time scale, not on a four-year time scale, uh, despite the expectation being that people go, go to college in, in four years. Um, and so I think we've, we've created this, this expectation that, that it's okay to, to, uh, to flounder around for a bit. And that's, that's totally true, right? We want to create a culture where people are willing to take risks and try new things. The question is, you should really do that before you start, and you should really do that uh, for for much much less than than forty or fifty grand a year, right? You can have really mm -hmm. meaningful travel experiences, really meaningful experiences, um, building relationships with friends, and getting real world work experience you know, for mm -hmm. ten or fifteen grand. It doesn't have to be something that is that is uh, so ridiculously expensive. Benjamin Miller, Benjamin is the co-founder and CEO of Fundrise. He's also a co-founder of Popularize, which is a real estate crowdsourcing website. Um, what was that light bulb moment, Ben, that helped you found it, Fundrise? Yeah, it's funny because there really was a light bulb moment. I was, I remember I was, um, you know, this was, this was 09, 2009, 2010, and that was a very special period for, for real estate because the capital markets were so broken. And um, back then, this whole idea of these emerging neighborhoods that, you know, there's this urban growth for, you know, kind of the not millennials, uh, snake people uh, moving into the city. Like, it was not something that people accepted. The idea of investing in like Brooklyn or like we, mm. now the LA Arts District or DC's H Street Northeast, every city had this sort of new neighborhoods that the big institutional money guys didn't know about, never been to, would never invest in, and and uh, but everybody I knew, because uh, you know I was a younger than the average uh, real estate mm. principal, everybody I knew was moving into those neighborhoods. And I thought, like, well, this is obvious a real estate opportunity. Let's invest in these mm -hmm. neighborhoods. Let's build things. This is like a huge, huge trend. And we found that even though everybody we knew, everybody who was basically like under the age of 35 was moving into these neighborhoods, um, the big money guys were would not invest there. And it was uh, it wasn't until probably two years ago, which is 2013 that you saw the big money real estate guys start to really put their money into these new neighborhoods. So it's like five years after we were, you know, we were active. And, and so there's this mismatch between 
you know, where the money comes from and where the growth mm-hmm. in real estate comes from. The growth in real estate comes from people, you know, moving there, shopping mm-hmm. there, living there, whatever, working there. Um, and, and so I, I remember walking down the street being like, why, why can't, uh, why can't we raise money from the people who are actually creating the growth mm-hmm. and making this, mm-hmm. creating these cha- this change in the real, in, in these neighborhoods? Like, why can't you square the circle? And, and <laughs> I was like, people hey, find it very daunting, Ben. Why not? When people think about investing in real estate, they think, oh, I need to have $100,000. I need to have millions of dollars. Um, there's really no uh, smaller entryway uh, to get into real estate. Um, but, but, but that's what I like about your company because uh, that was a problem that you was able to create a solution for. Uh, I believe you said, um, I believe, uh, I believe uh, you, st- you stated in an article that we have on Lifehack that um, your idea uh, was to uh, buy uh, an abandoned building and convert it into a mixed-use um, retail restaurant space. Talk about that, and then talk about kind of how you kind of, I guess, uh, level the playing field or kind of lower the bar to allow other people to be able to um, invest in real estate more affordably. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, no one had ever done that. No one had ever taken a real estate property mm-hmm. and raised money for it on the Internet, you know, as an investment. Um, we were the first. You know, they, they now call it real estate crowdfunding, but – it, you know, wasn't called that when we started. You know, we just uh, let's, let's raise money for real estate on the internet, and um, and and so we had to do sort of everything. You know, we had to create the website, we had to buy the building, we had to go like get the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, like on board with this new idea. We had to get the states on board. You know, there are all these governments, uh, regulators in the states that that had to basically get on board. So it was very. There were a lot of people mm. that had to, or a lot of pieces that had to come together. And, and, and part of our, our, our view was that like the, I think that it was about sort of democratizing access and, and, and not just democratizing and like everybody should be able to invest in it. I mean, our view is that the purpose of investing is to make money and make change. Like, you know, who is building right. your neighborhood, who owns your environment? Uh, you know, that's something actually most people never even thought about. Like who owns your, yeah. your, your environment? <laughs> Not you, obviously. <laughs> Do you want to start reaching the finish line? Then start with a free audiobook. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. <laughs> so, not your friend, not anybody you know. And so the idea was like, um, you know, we 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 kind of build your city. Like, you know, you should be able to own your own. You're you're creating this change. You know. You're creating value. You're seeing it. I mean, nowadays right. it's so obvious, right? There's so much value created in these neighborhoods, and you did not get to participate in it unless you maybe yeah. you bought, maybe you bought a, your house or your condo, uh, which is still like you know probably hundreds of thousands of dollars to to you know to buy one a house or a yeah. condo in, in a city, you know, half a million to a million dollars, you know, maybe or maybe maybe three fifty, but it's a lot. So we you know we did it we did it for a hundred dollars a share. You could buy a piece of this building for hundred dollars a share. That was 
people thought we were crazy when we did that. You know, I mean, normal minimum investment in real estate's like yeah, and yeah, hundred thousand million, uh, uh, not a hundred dollars. Uh, it really, it really dissuades a lot of middle class people from making those investments because they want to they, they want to start an investment portfolio. They they want to start uh, you know accumulating wealth so as they get older they can look forward to something. But yeah, as, as we said before, usually the conventional ways, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars, even a million dollars, it's not money that people typically have access to to be able to do that. So so yeah, for any for, for you know any any middle class person, a hundred a hundred a hundred dollars a share uh, is definitely a bargain. It's definitely a, a great incentive and motivator uh, to help people get involved and investing into it. Yeah, I mean we you know we learned. I mean look, our first deal, and we had no idea what it would be like to have hundreds or thousands of investors in in a, in a property, and 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 we made you know we made some mistakes. We learned a lot about what. People, I mean, luckily everybody made is everybody made money. Everybody um, it was good real estate investment. Right. But you know, as we've done it, you know, this is now f- three or four years later. Um, we've really improved the product. We really learned kind of what this what this means because we, one of the big discoveries, like lo yeah. and behold, right, is people don't know that much about commercial real estate. I I knew a lot about it. And I just forgot. I just took for granted. It's yeah. like a software programmer knows a lot about software programming. I don't know anything about that, right? And so you 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 bring a lot of um, bias about what you think people mm. know, what people you think people um, uh, would would want. Yeah, I can imagine. Talk that about the really experience because uh, one thing that uh, one, one one thing the people at this audience uh, kind of experience, especially when they start in a business, is funding. And uh, you know, as, as yourself as well as your team, uh, you was denied you was denied by a lot of banks and a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs that want to start a business. Uh, funding is kind of one of the things they, they they worry about the most. And uh, when uh, when they can't get the funding that they need, usually they give up. You know that's why that's why you know, a lot of people see the statistic of uh, usually uh, most businesses fail within three years because usually a lot of that is because they can't get funding. But yourself, uh, that you you didn't let that stop you. Uh, despite being um, denied by banks, uh, you persisted, and uh, the fact that you had the validation of uh, the local people and communities also helped you. Where were some other things been that helped you persisted despite being denied by banks? Well, I mean, so our story is a little different. I mean, you know, mm. real estate's a commercial real estate's like a kind of a big money business, and, and you know, we, we we weren't denied by banks. I mean, banks in a real estate, you know, if you're going to go buy a home, right, you, you have to get a bank to give you money. Usually, it's seventy five percent or eighty percent of the home, and then you have to come mm-hmm. up with another mm-hmm. two hundred thousand or uh, of of your down payment, your equity. Uh, right. And you know, if you're going to buy a commercial building, right? Commercial buildings usually a lot bigger than that. You know? um, so if you, you know, if you're buying a home that's a half a million dollars, your down payment might be a hundred thousand dollars. If you're buying a, a, a an office building or apartment mm-hmm. building that's ten million or fifty million, your down payment might be five or ten million dollars. That is very yeah, uh, inaccessible indeed. for an entrepreneur. <laughs> so. Um, that's really, where, I mean, there's like, a, you know, there's a there's like this gap in in the in the financial markets between um, things that are uh, there's a lot of money out there in Wall Street, big big money. If you wanted to raise a hundred million dollars and you had the right track record, you could raise a hundred million dollars. If you wanted to raise a, a 
$10,000, you could probably do that with your friends and family. But if you want to raise sort of the, the kind of the, the, this middle part, maybe somewhere between like a million to 10 million, that's much more difficult because big money usually doesn't write checks that small. You know, institutional money doesn't write checks less than 10 million in real estate. Uh, and, and individuals, I mean, raising a million dollars or more is, is, uh, is serious. It's a serious undertaking. Shai Reshef. Uh, Shai uh, is not only a TEDx speaker, but he's also the president of University of the People, which is the first tuition-free college in the United States. Like the idea of affordable education has been much more acceptable, especially at this point. When we look at the student loan debt, uh, we look at that debt bubble is, is over a trillion dollars. Uh, it's more than ever now that everyone is agreeing that there needs to be more affordable um, higher education. Um, but as you were starting university, as you were starting University of the People, was you getting some backlash or was you getting some ridicule that? You know, people telling you, "Oh, that's impossible. You can't do it." Was you getting that? Well, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. You're right. And and I got I got um, different reactions. First of all, you know, when I announced the University of the People and I did it in a conference in in Europe, the New York Times wrote a page about us. And the next day, I had hundreds of uh, professors writing me an email and and said, "This idea, it's time came." And we want to help to help to make it happen, and we want to join and help you um, make it happen. Mm -hmm. So from from the very first day, I, I we had hundreds of people who joined us to to help us uh, succeed. At the same time, a lot of people came and said, "Wait a second, tuition-free university? Nothing like that can exist." So it was people said, "Well." It will never, it will never get oh, a university that will be built on volunteers, that will be tuition-free. Um, we'll never get accredited. Well, last year we got our accreditation and we are a fully accredited university. The next thing was people said, well, it's not sustainable. If you don't charge tuition, you will never be sustainable. Well, we are running from 2009 and every year we beat our business plan. And our business plan is that next year in 2016, we are going to be financially sustainable, and we are marching very fast to reach these uh, these milestones. So a lot of people were skeptical. The, the more times go by, people realize that it's happening. Um, it's a, a very quality, you know, we have high quality academic standards. Mm -hmm. We are very solid financially. By the way, we are tuition free, but we are not free. Mm -hmm. We expect the students to pay $100 per exam if they have the money, which goes to $4,000 over a full BA degree or $2,000 for a full associate degree for students who can afford it. And with this $100 per exam that we ask our students to pay if they have, we are going to be financially sustainable. As you said, it's disruptive. As you said, a lot of people had a hard time to believe that it really happens, but it is happening. So, yeah. The accreditation definitely helps because, uh, uh, especially in the U.S., there's been a lot of um, students that got um, they got cheated because um, uh, 
they think they're going to quality universities. And now there, now there, there are some. I, I, I will admit there are some uh, universities that are seeking accreditation, but they don't have it. But they are very high quality. But uh, but you, you tend to hear on the on the mainstream media um, how uh, how a lot of students tend to get cheated over more often than not with that. So uh, the fact that you have that uh, definitely uh, makes uh, uh, an institution like yours much more uh, attractive to students. But I've been I've been following you since 2011, and I was just I was just amazed with the concept. I saw the potential of your institution as as you probably saw. But um, but so 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 that's great. Now. Uh, I, th I think it's I think it's very realistic as what you said, uh, Shy, because uh, you you really can't make uh, college free altogether. I mean, I guess you could. Uh, I guess um, Sweden and uh, Scandinavian countries, I guess they do it like that. But um, but obviously your model is more sustainable. So the students they're not paying any any tuition. It's tuition free, and paying a hundred dollars uh, per exam. Uh, it's not it's not expensive. Uh, at all. Uh, it's actually very affordable. Most people in the world can afford that. Um, and, uh, and especially a lot of foreigners because um, a lot of foreigners usually uh, like to study in the U.S. because in some way it gives them, it gives them uh, a level of, I don't know, uh, priority or preference uh, when it comes to applying for certain positions. But the fact that it's so affordable that anyone in the world can afford it, uh, that's great. Now, let's talk about that, Shai. How did you make it so affordable. Now you have staff, you have people working for you. How did you work that? How did you uh, create that model? Yeah, sure. Well, just just uh, first of all, we are our ability to be tuition free is because, as I mentioned, we use everything that is free on the net, open source technology, open educational resources, and volunteers, and the entire organization is built on volunteers. I'm the president, I'm a volunteer. Our provost who came from Columbia University is volunteer. Our deans are volunteers and so are the course writers and the instructors and, and most of the people that are involved with the university. So one, uh, one uh, the biggest factor for us to be able to be tuition free is by leaning heavily on volunteers. And you know, there is a lot of goodwill in the world and there are a lot of people who would like us to succeed and give their best expertise and time for us to succeed. Some of them work elsewhere. As I mentioned, our deans uh, are full-time employees of, of NYU, but still give us time and being our deans. Some other people are retired professors, and for them, again, it's a great way to, to spend their retirement days. You know, you wake up in the morning, you go into your, uh, your kitchen, open your laptop and here you are with 20 students from amazing 20 countries you drink your coffee while uh, exchanging uh, thoughts with them so it's it's amazing way to spend to spend your time our ability also um, stem from the fact that we don't have brick and mortars and the expenses that the traditional universities have we don't so we have a very lean operation and we give our students only the things that they need to succeed, nothing more than that. And as you mentioned, as you mentioned, we have students from all over the world. We have students from 100, over 160 countries, which is great because both for them and for our American students, being together in one class 
is a great experience because it opened their mind, teach them about other countries, make them part of the global village, make them part of the 21st century business world where if you want to, to succeed in, in the international business world, you want to be aware of other cultures, other way of thought, and we prepare our students to be part of this global village. I'm really a fan of the model, and it's, it's extremely affordable because um, when you look at some of the, when you look at some of the average tuition rates in developing countries, uh, it's almost the same. You know, in, in some cases, in some cases, your your uh, university is maybe even be a little bit cheaper than some of other universities uh, in some developing countries. Uh, let's let's talk about the actual exam fees now. Um, are, are, now, how many exams per uh, course? Are they paying one exam per course? Are they paying like uh, multiple exams? Uh, what what can a student expect to pay uh, for a bachelor's degree? If they study for we we right now we offer business administration and computer science. Mm -hmm. Both programs are both associate and bachelor degree. If students study for a bachelor degree, every time he takes a course. Uh, the course doesn't cost any money. They study the course free. The, by the end of each course, there is an exam. The exam is the only thing that they pay for. So they pay $100 per end of course exam for exam processing fees. A BA will have 40 exams. The students who study full-time will take 10 exams a year, which means $1,000 a year. And over the four years, it will be 40 exams, $4,000 for the entire BA degree if they study for associate. It's 20 degrees over two years, so it's $2,000 for a for associate degree. That is amazing. Abshai, um, if people want to follow you um, or want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? Sure. Uh, people are more than uh, invited to go to our website, which is www you owe people again you the letter U, the letter o and then the word people together you owe people dot edu again you owe people dot edu all the information is online we have uh, admission advisors to help people if they get stuck uh, we have all the information is there so you don't need you don't need any help but if people need help they can get all the help they need Everyone is welcome to join. Great, great, and um, you know, um, as I said before, I, 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 put, I put this out in a social media post. Like the definition of a hero is people like you, Shy, and uh, I'm, I'm so grateful. And uh, I thank you for I thank you for uh, being a pioneer and uh, showing that uh, tuition free education is possible and education can be affordable to everyone in the world. Uh, Shy, thank you for being my guest. Thank you so much, and thanks for the compliments, and uh, I wish we all succeed. Thank you so much for this interview. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist at Seen at Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.